This week's major spoilers podcast goes out to Monica Cass O'Shea, which I think was the name of that manga series with the guy who punched robots with his bare hands. It was like, ah, kick punch, kick punch. Anyway, this one goes out to you. The major spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm medicated. <laughs> I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Steven, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers Podcast, the podcast for pop culture and people strung out on drugs. <laughs> In this issue, Steven's looking California, Rodrigo's feeling Minnesota, and I'm feeling no pain at all. So lock up your comics, lock up your wives, lock up the Bat Cave, and run for your life because. Batman's about to betray his friends. Wizards are defying their own rules, and nobody in their right mind is ever going to vote for Turlo. So anyway, if there's one thing I know, man, it's like how to talk when I'm stoned. It's like you know your perspective's screwed, so you just like let your your tongue go as if you were perfectly normal. So like the Major Spoilers podcast is coming in for a great landing, man. Welcome to this week's episode of the Major Spoilers Podcast. Should be quite interesting. Woo! Matthew Hello! is medicated. <laughs> well, uh, technically, they've only medicated part of me. Yeah, unfortunately, it's the part of you that yeah, we need for the, the show. Yeah, yeah. Indeed, it's the head, but where is fancy bread? In the heart or in the head? Anyway, I, it, if it's not making a lot of sense to you now, it probably won't make a lot of sense to you later as we talk about JLS, uh, JS, or JLA, <laughs> Tower <laughs> of Babel. Mm-hmm. And honestly, if it doesn't and up make until sense that now, point, have and up until that point, uh, up until that point, a lot of babbling from us. So let's get to the news. <laughs> Alpha Flight gets an ongoing. JSA returns to Earth Two. Matthew apparently is a wiener, and the double-sided <laughs> cards on the way to your magic deck. Let's spin that wheel of destiny <laughs> and see where it lands. I'm going. I'm hoping it lands on Matthew's a wiener. <laughs> First off, how is this news? <laughs> Number four, <laughs> double-sided cards are on the way to your magic deck. Rodrigo, yeah. you are our resident. Somebody asked me the other day, do you have somebody that uh, is no all-knowledgeable about Magic the Gathering that writes for your website? I'm like, yes. Who would that yes, be, please? Mm-hmm. Well, it's Rodrigo. That's me. Tell us about double-sided magic cards. Okay, so... Sounds like a great way to cut down on printing costs. Uh, and also... Do da do da yes. double sided magic cards. Oh, do do da. Never mind. So, Innistrad, the the upcoming magic set, uh, they, they have been revealing cards for it, and the biggest reveal so far have been what they're calling double faced cards. These are cards that on one side have your usual magic card with a um. A picture of a critter, and then down there it says critter, this critter has this power, and then their power and toughness, right? Right. And on the other side, they have a picture of a critter, <laughs> the critter's name, and what the critter's power and toughness is. What? That's right. Is it the same critter? It's a, it's a different critter. One critter transforms into the other, but these cards do not have a Magic the Gathering back. Ah. So it screws your thing, because you can tell when you pull them from the from the thing. Right. right. So and what happens if you got those little sleeves? Here's that's here's the thing. Here's here's what Wizards Rodrigo, is saying. Rodrigo, this doesn't make any sense at all. Exactly. Here's what Wizards is saying. They're saying 
So we're making these awesome double-sided cards because it's very uh, it's a it's a very flavorful way to to display a creature transforming, oh. which is what these are. Basically, it, this is these are werewolves that are going to be doing this. So, mm. so, so on one side they're dudes, on the other side they're werewolves. So you can play a two-two Bruce Banner, and then he will transform into a ten-ten Incredible Hulk. Pretty much. Um. Okay. So. And then if you turn it over again, it's Lon Chaney walking with the queen. Nice. So how, you ask, because <laughs> you did, uh, does we this did. actually work? Well, there's two ways. One, as Steven mentioned, if you have opaque playing sleeves, yes, you just stick it in there. And then when you play the creature and then when it comes time to flip it, you open your sleeve, pull out the card, flip it and put it in, back inside the sleeve. Oh, well, that makes perfect Thereby sense. Thereby damaging so both easy. sleeve and card. Right, Sounds right. so easy and because, safe. Because it's not like the uh, the uh, intent of sleeves is to reduce wear and tear on the card or anything. <laughs> if you don't use sleeves, what you can do is most packs are going to come with a checklist card. That card has all of the flip, all, all of the double-sided cards listed on it. So you check which one of those cards is in your deck. You do that for each instance of each double-sided card that is in your deck, double-faced card, and then you shuffle that into your deck. And when it comes time to cast it, you pay its mana cost. You show them the checklist, show them that you check, reach into your backpack, pull out the right card, and put it on the battlefield. So you have to physically play the card. You can't like the the check mark is the the checklist card isn't like a proxy for the card itself right correct you have oh, it's to not. You can't use the proxy technically you have to own the actual card in order to play it well you, yeah you have I mean, to have it yeah. you have to physically possess it but you have right. to show it could you not show it before the game begins saying hey in my deck i've got this here's proof yeah, but la, you don't la, want la, people la. to know what's in your well, deck. well the thing well, is the right. checklist card has all of them that's I just what i'm checklist them all you can't that's illegal <laughs> And that's why you don't oh, play magic that's anymore. That's why I don't Steven. play magic anymore. Um, but the, are you sure you don't just take a hole punch to the card and punch <laughs> out the ones that you have? Right. That that in that case, you might as well just have a double sided card. <laughs> there you go, Wizards of the Coast. We've solved your problem for you. I don't just think include that's a, true. Uh, just include a hole punch. Why is this a big deal? I mean, is it a big deal? It seems very it is, gimmicky. It is. It is. I'm sorry, for making fun of it, but it just it, seems ridiculous. No, 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 no. I am not, and, and I need you to understand this. I'm, I'm a big fan of Magic: The Gathering. I will not defend this. Okay. So you can make fun of it all you all want. Right. This is a huge gimmick, as far yeah. as I'm concerned. Basically, where I stand, they're they're saying, here's you need to use two cards to play one card that is two cards, right? Right. You need your checklist card and the double face card to play one card that is sometimes another card. Well, how many people are just going to have the double card there? I mean, just leave it in their deck and yeah. don't give a crap. Um, anybody who plays any sort of sanctioned event oh, okay. is not going to be able to do that. And that's the pro. And see, here's it, it just causes so many issues. And, and they've gone, you know, Magic the Gathering uh, um, has gone out and said, you know, there's like, we wanted to do creatures that transform back and forward, and this was the most elegant way to do it. We tried all these other things, and none of them worked as well as this. Well, wait. Now, let me ask you this, though. Didn't it used to be that you have this card and you play it, and then it would say, with two of these things, you can go to your deck and shuffle and find, or you can go to your dead pile or whatever and find yeah, a card yeah. and play it? Why couldn't they just do that here? See, it's kind of amazing that you say that, Stephen. 
because you didn't play Magic the Gathering for very long. No, I didn't. But even, I believe, you just now came up with what would be an easier solution to this situation. Well, you still end up with just two cards. Right. One of them yeah. that you play, and then when you're ready, you go to your deck right. and you pull out the people, one that you People have. have come up well, with a ton of them, one of which is flip cards, which they've used in previous sets. These are cards that have text on top, then a picture, then text on the bottom. Oh, and you just turn them around. And you flip them yeah, yeah, around yeah. to to say, okay, yeah. this card is this now one. Whatever like text it is, yeah, whatever text it is that you can read, that's what the card is. I think they, they had more room for, like, flavor text and things from yeah. the stuff that you showed me. Uh, this is... The, the, the thing that I was thinking is when I used to play Magic way, way back in the late 90s, they decided they were going to do something super spiffy keen and they were going to come up with this new thing and they brought forth phasing unto the world. Now, I haven't played in a long time, but every time I mention phasing, all the Magic guys look at me like I farted in an elevator. Mm -hmm. So I have a suspicion that phasing rolled off the end of the pier and everybody Great said, let's never Smith. speak of this. And I think that this could be the new phasing. Oh, it's 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 more than that because because phasing it, it the fa you know people have made a huge deal about a lot of things. People have made a huge deal about poison coming back, right? Because you only need to get ten poison counters instead of twenty damage to die. Um, people made a huge deal about the Eldrazi being just gigantic, colorless monsters. People made a huge deal about hybrid mana, which is mana that is like, for example, half red, half white, so you can pay oh, it yeah, for yeah, one yeah. white or one red. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that kind of optional thing. But none of those actually messed with the structure of the game. And none of us actually me messed with the structure outside of the game. Yeah, the like, physical construction of the card. Right. Because of this actually screws up the game strategy of how you how you physically build and handle your deck. Because of this, they've had to revise the rules for tournaments. Because of this, they've had to re revise the rules to drafting. Because when you open a pack, everybody can see yeah, that there's got... what card you have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that aspect of it, specifically for Innistrad dra drafts, has changed. And they've added a couple other rules to prevent people from basically cheating everybody must close their eyes hands over your eyes everybody yeah, exactly now open your pack um huh i don't know what else to say it just seems odd and it seems strange and it well, seems very gimmicky and yeah. i i guess i understand and appreciate the it, fact that my card is transformed from a ranger to a werewolf blah blah kids mm -hmm. all right but more probably well, rodrigo like, oh, you kids. you know sold my first analogy so i'm gonna go back to the well again what in the in the mid nineties? Yes. No, stay with me here. Oh, in oh, you mean phasing? I thought the Bruce Banner thing. I thought that was pretty good. Oh, that was good. Yeah, phasing. You should. In the mid nineties, I used to read these things called comic books, and people are like, "Ooh, you know what's on this comic book? This one's got metal foil. This one's got raised metal foil. Well, this one's got a bullet hole right through the middle of it." Mm -hmm. And it came to the point where the gimmickry. What's the new thing? What's the new cool thing mm -hmm. became more important than what was in it? And, and it sounds like you believe that what we're at here is this is like, because I know they do have like hollow foils now in mm -hmm. magic. Is this just a gimmick to try and get people talking about the new block of magic? I, I don't think it's just a gimmick. I think what actually happened is, is this. The two main people on this set are Mark Rosewater, who is the head designer for magic, and Richard Garfield. The guy who invented magic. Right. He hates Mondays and loves lasagna. 
what's that guy's name? Richard Garfield. Richard Garfield. Okay. Um, now <laughs> we've talked, and what's his address? <laughs> and how do you and how do you make a pipe bomb? Um, <laughs> now you've uh, we've we've <laughs> talked before about what the 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 environment that that restraints. Uh, and, and a lack of funding and things like that cause, right? Mm-hmm. You don't have any money. You don't have any anything to do. You have to find all these creative answers around problems. You come up with, uh, you know, Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back, uh, Return of the Jedi. You have all of the resources available, tons of money, do whatever you want. You come up with Phantom Menace, Attack of the Clones, and Attack of the Other Clones. Right. This is what I think happened. I think the two biggest names in magic got together and they were typing away and they were like, oh, how do we do this? And then Mulder and Scully die at the end. Yes. You know, so and nobody and nobody said, let- guys, this is going to cause more problems than it solves because they're the cool guys they are the biggest guys in magic. Nobody was going to tell them no. Well, I think the. um the odd thing is going to be, what about those really clumsy people, those people that are always losing things from the time they sign into the tournament to the time they sat da- sat, sit down and you they play this Rob. check card. It's okay. And then they're you like, no, I swear uh, I had this card in my pocket Rob, a minute ago. I don't know where it's at. R- Rob Rob is kind of not at all like that. He's the he's mm-hmm. like, um, what do I want to say? Never mind. I don't want to use this analogy. I mean, let's just say that Rob is very graceful when it comes to magic. It's like it's it's definitely his element. <laughs> he's autistic, like a, a <laughs> yes. savant. Yep. He's I've, like I've seen. Man. I he's he that, he'll be playing magic, the sideboard. and I'm then a, a fly the will a fly will go by, and he'll take a token card and just like <laughs> hack it in half. For their for their next uh, card pack, their next gimmick that uh, uh, Wizards of the Coast puts out, Magic: The Gathering. Um, Every pack will have one drop of John Finkel's blood mixed in with it. Yes. That's who's, what it will have. Who's, who's John Finkel? Oh, we'll talk about him on the Saturday show. You don't know who John Finkel is? <laughs> Come on, Matthew. All right. Other things that you can check out over at Major Spoilers. Of course, uh, Rob did write a uh, a reaction to uh, this uh, big change with Magic the Gathering. You can oh, that's check a different that out. big change. Oh, that's that a different Rob big change. Oh, too many changes going on with the Magic the Gathering. It's, it's Glad been, I got it's out a, when I did. It's been a big month for Glad Magic. I spent hundreds of dollars and then decided to get the hell out. Hey, I'm happy. Yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I gave you all my cards. <laughs> Don't forget... Uh, uh, DC's new 52 kicks off in just a few days, or it already is out, depending on when you're listening. And you can Hello. check the website for our DC 52 Hello. coverage. Hello. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about reviews. It's time for another round of Ask a Four-Year-Old, where we ask a four-year-old questions. Hey, four-year-old. Hey. I've got a question for you. What is it? What is best in life? Crush your enemies. You've been dripping before you. And to hear the lamentation of the women. That was Ask a Four-Year-Old, where we ask a four-year-old question. Tune in next time when we ask, what's that watermelon doing there? Oh, people have been asking for the four-year-old to return. There you go, Rodrigo. Fantastic. <laughs> also want to give a, a shout-out to everybody who has become uh, contributors to the show, making one-time recurring donations. We appreciate that. Of course, that uh, shout-out that we do at the top of the show is in honor of someone who has donated $10 or more for the month. 
Uh, and we also appreciate those people that have uh, done the recurring donations of 2 5 and $10 as well. We appreciate you. It, it uh, does help keep everything going smoothly, or as smoothly as possible uh, when Matthew is doped up on drugs. <laughs> Let's do some reviews. Reviews. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Oh, boy. I think These we are just- legal. I have a toothache. <laughs> So, um, occasionally we get sent independent uh, comics. I mean, truly independent creators. Send us stuff. I mean, these are not guys, attached guys to any... Guys who seceded from the United States yes. and are drawing on an island. People who do not belong to even the smallest of the regular publishers. And um, somebody sent me a copy of Zombie Outlaw Number 1. This is a story that takes place at college as Matt Naismith, the geek, tries to find a way to... Get the eye and the heart of Katie Delaney, the beautiful woman. And he's going to do that by asking his, what, uh, resident assistant over at the dorms, Will Simmers, for help. Will, though, is really into something else. There's something in the basement of the library. And uh, he's after, apparently, the hat of Edward Dansby. Zombie outlaw. (laughs) <laughs> and it's it's a comedy i mean it's it's certainly played for for laughs um lots of slapsticky kind of humor uh throughout the book the story itself isn't really bad um you know it's a great start in in telling a a, a zombie tale i'm kind of interested in to see where the story goes after issue number one I, I guess the biggest problem that i that i have is in the art um it's really not something that's up my alley Mm-hmm. Um, all of the characters have four fingers, okay, three yeah. fingers and a thumb, so that kind of looks a little odd. And then uh, remember how Popeye used to have these huge ass forearms? Mm-hmm. Every character here has huge ass forearms, wow, and they don't even have does. they don't even have the tattoo on the end, including the women. Yes, mm-hmm. even the women have it, which makes it look very disturbing, especially That's when you look at look their. Especially when you look at their uh, fingernails, they're just like these little circles drawn on the ends of the uh, ends of the hand. Ah, that is weird. It's kind of weird. All of the eyes are black with white irises, uh, and that's a little disturbing as well. Um, you know, if this were, I don't know, I think if they would have all had five fingers, it probably wouldn't bother me as much, but the four-finger thing just really kind of creeps me out. Um, I don't the know. Simpsons only have four fingers? Yeah, but that's a little bit more cartoony. This, you know, the Simpsons don't look human. These are supposed to look human, but there's some proportional issues, especially with those forearms that are bothersome. The four fingers are bothersome. Um, the story has some great comical moments. Uh, I think if you really want to support independent creators, this might be something that you want to check out. It is six bucks, though, and I don't think it's worth six bucks, but I understand that when you go through some of these uh, printers that the cost is quite high, mm-hmm. especially when your print run is quite low, and so the cost does have to go up quite a bit. But, uh, you know, I'm interested to see what happens in the next story. I'm going to give this a two and a half slices of meatloaf, kind of right down the middle. Uh, the story is, is fun, but the art is a bit off-putting. So there you go, Zombie Outlaw, issue number one. You can go find it at comicspress.com c-o-m-i-x press.com so there's my review for the week yay yay oh ooh, ooh. teen titans number 100 the last issue wrapped up last week matthew 
Mm-hmm. Tell us what happened. <clears throat> fighty, fighty. Really? Uh-huh. Excellent. So it's, how many um, slices of meatloaf, then? <laughs> it's actually not a terrible issue, because it's drawn by Nicola Scott, and Nicola Scott could draw The Adventures of Youngblood, as written by Chuck Austin, on oxycodone, as far as I'm concerned, uh, and make it good. But basically, this issue features... 21 Teen Titans, basically every living Titan from this incarnation of the book shows up, including um, Mia Dearden, the new Speedy, who was all the rage for a minute, and Bombshell and Red Star and everybody. And it made me start thinking about why other Titans weren't there, and I realized that the Titans have basically a, a, a death rate of about one in three. So these 21 actually represent pretty much the only living Titans who aren't members of the Justice League at this point in time. <coughs> Excuse me. It also heralds the mighty return of Tom Welling Prime really? in all his monitor suit glory. Yeah. Tom <laughs> Welling Prime. I like that reaction, Rodrigo. Really? Just this, like you've been a puppy that's been beaten too many times. Uh. Actually, you would like this issue, Rodrigo, yeah? because it gives Tom Welling Prime the closure he deserves. Uh-huh. I'll get to that in a moment. Tom Welling Prime has assembled a group of villains and alternate versions of Connell, Connell, Connor Kent, Superboy. So every alternate version of Superboy is in this issue. If you like leather jacket, high cut 90s fade Superboy, he's here. If you like weird red and blue costume that kind of looked like I don't know, maybe a young male prostitute Superboy It's here. If you like crazy Lex Luthor, bald, crazy Superboy, he's here. And Superboy Prime has come to defeat the Titans once and for all because somehow they have become his nemeses. And there's little bits that are really awesome in that Tim Drake and uh, Damian Al Ghul, neither of whom have actually the last name Wayne, uh, <laughs> are fighting and together. They should. Yeah, maybe they should. Terminator's Kid is in it. Um, if you remember the Teen Titans group that Dan Jurgens did, Argent is in this. And Hotspot, who used to be known as Johto until they used him in the cartoon and called him Hotspot. And there's some really nice character bits for all of these characters. Red Star, whom you may remember lost his wife and adoptive son to Superboy Prime in Infinite Crisis. Red Star shows up and starts trying to beat the heck out of the Kryptonian course he's a kryptonian a red star is not a kryptonian and what it really boils down to is the teen titans have a high death rate and that's the meta statement of this issue is teen titans have a high fatality rate and these are all the ones who are still alive and the fighty fighty and the fighty fighty and it comes down to superboy prime alone against all of the teen titans and here's the point that rodrigo would like There is a four-page sequence where every single one of the Titans takes their shots and just beats the bejesus out of Tom Welling Prime. Just knocks him down. And considering that this is a group with Wonder Girl, Superboy, Supergirl, Ms. Martian, and, of course, some magic users in there, everybody gets in their shots. And it looks like Damian Wayne is the one who gets in the last kick that really drops him. And then they're all like, yay, we beat Superman Prime. And they finally give him an ending that means that we'll never see him again. Even, well, you know, 
Come on. They Dark. take him to the edge of the universe, and Kara and Connell actually attach him to the source wall. You remember the source wall? Yeah, but wasn't Darkseid attached to the source wall at one time? Uh, that wasn't in continuity. Oh, okay. As far as you know. It wraps up everybody's story, and, you know, it gives everybody closure, and, you know, Beast Boy and Raven get back together, and this new girl who looks just like Mary-Kate Olsen, um, I think her, her superhero name is Mary Sue something, um, gets, like, five seconds, and it ends with a big Titans together, and the team literally flying off into the sunset. It's a nice ending to a series that's been really, really uneven over the past, what, seven, eight years? This book has been down as much as it's been up. And it's nice to see it go out on a high, especially given that the last year or so has been... I, I don't want to use the word execrable, but I want to use the word execrable, so I want to use a word that means the same thing, but I can't think of it right now. So uh, you guys think up your own and uh, put it in the comments of this issue. This is a good one. Three and a half slices of meatloaf. And then the new Teen Titans launch again here in a couple weeks with a brand new everything and a brand new everyone, and everything's going to be different. So. How, I got a question. Mm -hmm. How did... How did Superboy Prime get back from Earth whatever that he was on into Earth this Prime? World? Yeah. I don't know. I, I didn't read Teen Titans number 98 and 99. Well, that is a and, shame. And they don't actually tell us that within this issue. So, you know, that's one of the one of the things about it is this issue really does break down to fighty fighty. It's 30 odd pages of fight scene. It's nicely done fight scene, and it has yeah. some very nice moments in it. But yeah, it's it's a big fight scene. Do you remember um, Superboy Prime and that uh, multiverse was kind of reintroduced in the uh, pages of 52? Remember that series, 52? Mm, no. You I don't? don't Man, it was a great series. I loved it to pieces. You was had that asked, the one where they were counting down to something? No, no, that was Countdown to Infinite Crisis. Um, so big what was it that you asked uh, listeners to uh, to do there in the comment section, Matthew? Excrable. 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 Find me a good synonym for excrable. And uh, to describe the last 10 to 12 issues of, of Teen Titans Volume 3. Okay. And, uh, and randomly. Give them something. Yeah, randomly. You got a week. So a week from now, uh, I will close off those comments. and Or actually, you'll just see me pick a winner at random, who I think is giving the best answer. And you'll know when uh, that winner has been picked. But uh, that person will win a copy of 52 Week 1, signed Ooh. by J.G. Jones. Ooh. That's the one with the hat. Yes, the cowl on the sword. and the Yeah, Bat Batman's hat yep. on like a gravestone or something. Only 400 of these were Cowl's issued. Sword. This one is is uh, number three eighty one, signed by J G Jones. Ooh, so it's and a high that number. yeah, it is, and it is uh, given to us by uh, Gatekeeper Comics and Hobbies, Huntoon and Gage in Topeka. If you're in Topeka or in the surrounding area, why don't you stop by and say hello? <laughs> All right, and you can also check out uh, even more reviews over at the Major Spoilers website. Sorry, just a little distracted there for a moment kind of how this whole day has gone for me. Um, you can head over to Majorspoilers.com, check out more reviews, including the uh, the new 52, not uh, 52 week one, but 52 new books 
coming out in the month of September from DC, we will have, I think we're going to have all of them covered. Cool. So uh, you'll want to head over there and check that out. So now, reviews are done, and it is time for they us are. to dive. Yes, they are, Rodrigo. Oh, cool. Are they? Yes, they are. Okay. Oh, wait. All right. We did forget somebody. I'm sorry. <laughs> yes, yes, we did. I told you I was totally distracted tonight. Totally distracted. And we even hinted broadly. I thought Rodrigo was interrupting me into the, he was pulling your, your uh, part. Oh, oh, oh. oh, we do have one word. No, here. seriously, you forgot him. What the hell? I was like, Gosh, that time you left me at Walmart in Kansas City. <laughs> well, serves you right That's for running okay. off into the toy aisle and not telling us where you went. Zorro Rides Again number two comes out this week from Dynamite Entertainment. Out of the night when the full moon is bright. Sorry, Rodrigo. That's all good. I thought something was weird. Anyway, please, enlighten us. Zorro Rides Again number two is a comic about Zorro. And Zorro is a guy who has masks. And when the reviews are over. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And when the reviews are over... Um, no. Uh, Zoro is a guy who has a mask and a hat, and he fights the bad guys and helps the good guys. And in this issue, we f- we uh, learn about that. And that's pretty much all we do, is learn about El Zoro, and about how difficult life is for Zoro, and about how um, his dad knows that he's Zoro, but he's sad because Zoro won't tell him he's Zoro. And then there are uh, a, there's a lady, and then we meet another different lady, and Ooh, not much lady. happens in this issue. There's a lot of talking in this issue. Oh, really? A lot of setup, I mm. guess. Um, which makes me wonder what happened in issue number one because I haven't read it. But if they're doing this much setup in issue number two, I can only imagine that issue number one is actually just prose. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. Eh, let me find. I'm sure Dynamite sent us a copy of Zora number one. Um, there is a brief fight, which, uh, Zoro has to escape because some more guys show up, but really, other than that, there's a lot of setup. So, hopefully, now that this is out of the way, Zoro rides again, number three will be a lot more action and adventure, but I'm gonna give this one, I'll give it, I'll give it two slices of meatloaf. It, it really was... I, 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 you know, because uh, some exposition is fine, some explanation is fine, but you also sign up to read El Zorro to yeah. see him swash and or buckle, which he did very little of. That's right. So, yeah. The art is fine. I don't have a problem with it. Um... It is difficult to tell who everyone is if they have similar features. Like, there are some people with... There's, like, a guy with curly brown hair, and you can tell who that guy is. And there's a guy with, like, a red beard, and you can tell who that guy is. But it's difficult to tell, for example, the two long hair, Like, the two long, dark-haired women apart. Yes. And I think there are two of them. Yes. Um, yes. They are not the same person. It is difficult to tell... Um, the soldiers apart, except when you get really close and see who's been hacked at by Zoro. Mm-hmm. But other than that, um, I mean, the art is fine. It's just difficult to tell. And I wish that there were more indicators and just pure, like the pure context of saying, how did this character get over here? Oh, wait, this is a different character. Yeah. 
Um, so yes, I will give it two slices. Not not a terrible book. Not even really a bad book. Um, just kind of underwhelming. Okay. Well, I have put the issue one over there for you in case you would like to read it. Hooray. Probably will put everything into more context. Mm-hmm. And now that we are done with reviews. It's time. What? It's time it for what? It's time. It's time? Um, oh, that's yeah. right. It's time. It's 8.53. <laughs> and it's that time means for the major spoilers. It's time for the major poll spoilers poll of the week. week. <laughs> this show poll, is just poll, so poll, poll of the week now. Poll, 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 poll. I'll tell you why I wasn't upset that you skipped over me. I was kind of hoping to slowly just make my way out of the room here. <laughs> and head down to the McDonald's. Pretty much. Ugh. All right. So let's get to our poll sandwich. of the week, which includes neither chickens nor sandwiches or big macs but it does include the doctor the good doctor from the tv series doctor who and over the years the doctor the doctor doctor has had a number of travel companions some of them get him into trouble some of them prevent him from getting in trouble and some of them have been very kind on the eyes this week major spoilerite jason jason yes he sent us a list and asked us to see who is the best companion from the short list that he provided us? And on that short list, we have Sarah Jane Smith, who's been, you know, the way he's got these grouped is there's a lot of the modern companions, mm-hmm. but Sarah Jane yeah. Smith hasn't really been a companion in this new well, series. kind of has. Because she already had her own TV series by that point, her own spin-off but she series. had she had like five adventures with the 10th Doctor and two with the 11th or one oh, with the 11th okay. or something. So there's Sarah Jane Before Smith, there's died. there's Rose Tyler, there's mm-hmm. Martha Jones, Donna Noble, mm-hmm. and the most recent Amy Pond. Basically, so, it's all of the modern era Doctor yeah. Who female companions. Yes, and a lot of people are upset, I can understand. Where's mm-hmm. Leela? Where's Ramona? Ramona. Well, Ramona. Leela's in the year 3000. Ramona where, is at Scott Pilgrim's where is Where is the, the Doctor's granddaughter? Where are all of these companions? Susan? Yes. Susan? (laughs) Susan Underhill? Well, and that's the thing. Not all of the companions could be listed because, quite frankly, we would never have a winner. Where's Will? Rory is behind the couch. (laughs) Where's Wally? Waldo. Where's K9? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Where's Chameleon? Where's Sarah Kingdom, who may not even be a companion because she died in the middle of the Daleks' master plan in 1967? And yes, I know it wasn't 1967, so don't call in and correct me. Where are the guys from the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Where's Saffron? You've been watching Doctor Who from uh, Eccleston forward. Mm -hmm. Who's been the the best Doctor Who companion? Um, I'm, I'm very partial to Martha Jones. I think that mm. she had she had a she had a good arc up until the end um and and I'll get to that but uh, you know like she arrives at a point where the doctor's totally heartbroken over losing his girlfriend totally wants to be the doctor's girlfriend it's just not happening right and in the process spends a lot of time they both spend a lot of time dealing with that which I thought was an interesting interaction mm-hmm 
um she's a doctor right um she is very capable kind of picks things up pretty quickly which is is true for most companions but really doesn't put up a lot of resistance which um i i feel that even rose you know kind of had a a less or, or a more uh a slower learning curve where where things went mm-hmm. that may have just been better writing who knows <laughs> um, Could have been. as compared to the other ones you know Rose is Rose, and she's the one who kicked off the series. But by the end of her tenure, I was I was honestly getting kind of annoyed with her. Even when she went to the parallel <laughs> universe and came back and saved the Doctor's life? That's... That, yeah, especially, especially then. Especially um, when she took the clone of the Doctor with her to the parallel Right, right. I mean, and that... ever after. You know, you talk about the uh, an arc ending poorly. I don't know that any of these have gotten a good ending to their arcs. Um, you know, like the whole like, oh, I want to be with the doctors. I'm going to take his weird hand clone. It's like, <laughs> seriously. And then Martha Jones ending up with Mickey Smith just un- just was obnoxious to me. Yeah. Not because I went in every Martha Jones, but because I <laughs> Mickey Smith's always been a putz. <laughs> right, right, right. And I'm like, uh. But yeah. um, and then Donna. I actually like Donna Noble. Ugh. A lot of people hate Donna Ugh. Noble, but I like her, and I like her Gag. for the same reason. In that she gave us an interesting relationship with the doctor. Yeah, it was an interesting relationship. Um, as far as Sarah Jane, um, I've seen very little of her. I've actually right. seen more of her in one episode of her with the Doctor, mm-hmm. uh, like of of her original run and mm-hmm. on Doctor Who, um, and then like the one or two episodes that she's in in the series because I haven't watched any of the spinoffs of Doctor yeah, Who. Yeah, I, watch, yeah. I haven't, haven't watched, watched a lot Torchwood? of Torchwood and I haven't mm-hmm. watched any of the Sarah Jane Chronicles or whatever they're called. If you watch Torchwood, don't watch no, the them. Sarah, with the Sarah Connor Chronicles. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> the Doctor steps out of the TARDIS. Come with me if you want to live. <laughs> um... Yeah, if you watch Torchwood, don't watch it with a four-year-old, because inevitably he's going to ask that question. Why are those two guys kissing? Mm-hmm. So, there you go. Uh, for me, I went with Martha Jones, too. I think she is, by far, uh, one of the more interesting companions. She walked away on her terms, mm-hmm. not because the doctor said, I'm done with you, go away now. Right, or, beca- or because the, the universe, or because things worked in such a way that that they couldn't yeah. be together anymore. Right. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, she's also that one where um, the timeline shifted. Mm-hmm. And she walked yep. all over the earth, yep. trying to she save the, the universe. Yep. That she's a great hero. She's the only one that has gone back in time and essentially gave up her life so that the doctor could disappear. And she's just kind of there as a watcher, mm-hmm. uh, so to speak. You know, the one where he wanted to forget he wanted to become essentially human, so he put right. his put himself in that watch. Um, she is a, a great companion. She is a. a trustworthy companion someone that i think the doctor can depend on and rely on and she looks pretty good in a, in a unit uh, outfit too mm-hmm. so there you go i went with You're martha a jones <laughs> all right matthew who did you pick anyway with amy bond because she's so cute <laughs> okay first <laughs> shut up and secondly shut up again <laughs> see the problem that i have yeah <laughs> Aside from the fact that I sound drunk, I'm really not, I promise you. The problem that I have with this is that it only takes into account the modern era of the Doctor. And I am a big believer in the old school theory that the Doctor should not be romantically involved with his companions. So, I love Rose Tyler, love her to death. I'm always troubled by the fact that 
yes, she brought the Ninth Doctor back from the Edge of Despair, but she did it by them pretty much almost being a couple. And I like Martha Jones. Yes, I like Martha Jones even more than I like Rose. But again, Martha Jones clearly wanted to, you know, jump the Doctor's bones. Mm -hmm. And I even like Donna. I felt like Donna's relationship with the Doctor was fabulous because it came, first of all, right on the heels of two 20-ish girls. And Donna Noble is considerably older. I always peg her to be around 40. Mm -hmm. So she had kind of a more mature sort of aspect to her. And she and the Doctor were like, you know, they were friends. They were a team which I thought was really awesome. Mm -hmm. But then you look at Amy Pond. Amy Pond started out as Martha, then kind of became Rose, then kind of became Donna, and then kind of became something entirely different. And, you know, Amy right now is a phenomenal character because she's, you know, happily married to her husband and refers to the Doctor as her best friend. So it's still that, that relationship. That said, the single best Doctor Who companion is Jamie McCrimmon, uh, who actually has more appearances than either the sixth or eighth Doctors. But of this list, I had to pick Sarah Jane Smith because Sarah Jane is old school. Sarah Jane was one of the first of the female companions who wasn't all about the screaming and running away while looking pretty. Mm -hmm. Yes, she did that. She had a lot of that to her. And depending on who was writing her, she screamed and ran more often sometimes than others. But over the course of time, Sarah Jane actually became a pretty formidable character. And, you know, I, I, I still feel bad. I always feel terrible when an actress that I really enjoy passes away. And I think Liz Sladen passed away like five months ago. So I, I, I had the, the Sarah Jane old school vote out of there. But still Jamie McCrimmon, dude. You can't be Jamie McCrimmon. <laughs> All right. So there you go. Uh, and he looks good in the Our answers. Not Matthew, how did the rest of the Spoilerite Nation vote? Well, I'm afraid to refresh because the last time I did it crashed my browser. I have 366 votes showing. Okay. Uh, Amy Pond leading with 31%, followed closely by Rose at 23, which is what I expected. I always expect the incumbent character to get more votes. And then, you know, barring that, the prettiest one. So that puts the two prettiest characters. Sarah Jane Smith in third place, very close to Rose at 19%. Donna and Martha tied for fourth in the 13 to 14% range. So mm -hmm. it's actually a relatively close split if you take out, you know, the inherent bias of who's current. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's evenly, and I also, think it's fairly evenly spread. I mean, there's a, eh, there's a pretty good curve there, I think, for the characters. Yeah. yeah, I was surprised to Some see Martha at the bottom of the list. I expected Donna to be lowest on the list, honestly, because of the way people talk about you know Donna. Well, you know, there's a lot of people that are voting, and since you uh, since uh, you started the show, we've had about mm, 60 more people vote. Donna is now down at the oh. bottom, uh, but the, she's still uh, tied with see. Martha Jones at 13 percent, and. You know, I, I don't know. I I thought she was more annoying than anything else. But uh, you're right, Matthew. She was a good companion, especially in that episode where yeah. they went uh, back in and met Agatha Christie. I mm -hmm. thought she was that was probably that was her strongest, uh, one of her strongest pieces uh, yeah. with the Doctor. Donna so. is one of the few companions who actually met the Doctor while on her own adventure, and that's mm -hmm. something that people forget as well. Donna set out to do something awesome. And encountered the Doctor, which was kind of neat. Yep. 
All right, everybody, you can head over to MajorSpoilers.com, and you can cast your vote and read all of the comments, all 42 of them and counting. And And uh, we've got some phone calls this week. What's wrong with you? We've got some phone calls this week. Let's take a listen to those, and when we come back, we will answer some questions and talk JLA, Tower of Babel. So stick around. Hi there. This is Slappy. You might remember me from such uh, posts as how to make Navari go nuts, or how to egg other people on and really drive them kind of batty. Anyway, that being said, I just wish to comment on this week's poll of the week. Yes, indeed. Um, I do have a little bit of a disappointment in there. One of them, and uh, very often as uh, Mr. Matthew Matthew always puts it, uh, my answer isn't there. I would say one of of the companions, and the way I look at it is, who's the companion that is often self-reliant, able to kind of do what they need to do and handle themselves quite appropriately without being the token uh, damsel in distress for the doctor. And of those, I have a couple. Ian Chesterton, who was one of the original companions of the doctor, often ended up saving the doctors behind and was often able to handle whatever he needed to. Others who I also see as being up in that vein are Zoe, who is incredibly brilliant and a companion of the second Doctor. Then Ace, the seventh Doctor's uh, final companion that we actually saw. Now, Ace was top, not to mention the fact that she had her uh, Nitro 9 canisters that she was able to create, but she was really able to go on her own. And she was actually being trained to be a Time Lord. Now, while she is not one of my favorites, I can also see Romana being up there, too. Romana, one, was okay. Romana, two, ended up being able to really take care of herself. So those are some of my choices. Unfortunately, it appears that you only have some of the uh, most recent there. And I guess it's going in for popularity rather than who's actually able to really accomplish much of anything. And those whom I mentioned absolutely could handle themselves. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Roddy Rod Rod and Stevie, too. Have a good day. Hello, gentlemen and Matthew. This is Nathan Olson, also known as The Great NATO, on your website. So now with the DC's New 52 coming out, I'll be picking up some of them. Now, I can't get all 52. My wife would kill me, then she would go to work on me. But I'm going to be getting, you know, Batman, Green Lantern, Superman, Wonder Woman, you know, the good ones. The question I have for you guys this week is give me one or two other ones that I should pick up that are not like big three types. Stranger, the better. Also, I think it would be great if we had a contest of us imitating Matthew, imitating Rodrigo. Hello, my name is Rodrigo, and I'm awesome. Okay, that's probably bad, but something like that would be awesome. Thanks, guys. Have a good show. Hey, Major Spoilers. This is Hip Hop Head. Um, a big fan of the podcast, Stephen, Matthew, Rodrigo, and Fake Rico. Um, I really do like the show. Uh, catching up on some of your top five, which is a new edition, and I like that too. 
And uh, I love the voices that Matthew tends to do from time to time. I tend. <laughs> and uh, just love the show in general. Uh, keep up the great work. Uh, be listening. Oh, by the way, I'm a native of Los Angeles. Currently live in Los Angeles. Just happened to be in D.C. when the earthquake hit. And, uh, of course, it was nothing to me. Only a 5.8. So, talk to you guys later. Excellent. Hip-hop head here again. Waiting for my voice to be heard. Anyway, I listened to the, uh, the podcast this week. Excellent show once again, guys. Uh, question I have about anime. What was the first anime brought over? As a child, give you an idea how old I am, I remember watching Gigantor, Speed Racer, Kimba the White Lion. And I was wondering if that was the first group of anime to come over from Japan. And by comparison, if you guys remember the early Marvel uh, superheroes on television, that animation was like uh, the comic book sliding across the screen with just the mouth moving. So uh, that's my question about what was the first anime brought over. Also, love Why the Last Man, bought the floppies. I also bought the hard copies for my girls to read. So, uh, great show. Talk to you soon. Hey, God, this is Tommy from North Carolina. I just wanted to say that I um, listened to the last issue of the Major Spoilers podcast and the poll of the week with Transformers versus GoBots and realized after all these years seeing it when it first came out, I never got the joke of Psykill, Psycho, Psykill. Thanks, Matthew, for making me realize that I'm a dumbass. Thanks, guys. Love the show. Bye. Well, I guess uh, last week when I said, hey, we like playing your, your comments, mm-hmm. throwing out that Major Spoilers hotline got people reacting. Got a whole bunch of people calling seven, this eight, week. Five, seven something. Seven eight five seven two seven nineteen thirty nine. The major spoilers. <laughs> Could I have another turkey leg <laughs> hotline? Seven eight five. <laughs> so a couple of questions. Oh, Question number one is a little hard because wants us to recommend a new DC book that is not like the JLA, Superman, Batman mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Is there something that you're See, looking forward to on, on that big list? Is there something that you're really looking oh, yeah. forward to, Rodrigo? Oh, yes, uh-huh. Grifter. Grifter, really? No. Oh, no, okay. I'm not. What about Voodoo? No. Stormwatch? I'm actually looking forward to Voodoo. I, I'm static actually, I, Shock. I, yeah, Static Shock. Um, I was, I'm kind of looking forward. I, I want to see what they do with Blackhawks, because it's clear that it's like... DC G.I. Joe, mm-hmm. and I don't like either of those things, which weirdly <laughs> makes me curious about this. Um, I think I'm interested in All-Star Western mm-hmm. uh, as one of the non-main ones, and I'm also kind of interested in, uh, it's not Demon, is it Demon Knight, the one with uh, that takes place in medieval times? Uh, it's got... Uh, I think it's Demon Knight. I think that's what it is, something like that. Uh, I don't have the whole list in front of me. Matthew, is there something that you're looking forward to that's not in the main core of the of the big relaunch numbered items? Whatever. Uh, blah, Ab- blah, blah. Abnet and Lanning are bringing back their Resurrection Man series oh, yeah, from yeah. the 90s. Yeah. I'm kind of looking forward to Stormwatch because it, it's uh, got uh, Grifter and Apollo and uh, not Grifter. Midnighter, Midnighter and Apollo and Martian Manhunter. Yeah, that'll be an interesting combo. And there's one other, one of the weird off-brand, OMAC, by Keith Giffen, I'm kind of looking forward to. 
Okay. So there you go. Uh, second question was the first anime into the U.S. on uh, on uh, regular television. And I remember back in the day sitting down and watching uh, uh, Gigantor or whatever that giant Gigantor. Was. Watching that and Speed Racer. But I'm pretty sure... I'm pretty sure the first mm-hmm. anime brought to the U.S. was Astro Boy. Mm-hmm. I think so. Some people say Astro Boy was the first anime. Um, actually, uh, the Osamu Tezuka mm-hmm. uh, created Astro Boy like way back in the 50s. But oh, by yeah. the time it became a cartoon in, in the 60s, wait, I can't remember if it became a cartoon in the 60s or if it became an American cartoon in the 60s. At some point after that, I believe it was the first uh, Japanese Ooh, anime. Hey, I believe I have found the answer. Have Ac- you? Actually, the first anime aired in the United <laughs> States on television was Mitsu no Hanishi, or in English, Three Tales in 1961. Astro Boy was not the first anime to air because it didn't release yeah, until tell us 1963. All about Gyro Robo, Stephen. I don't know anything about that. I was just reading what this person had uh, so haughtily posted on this uh, comment. So there you go. Posted haughtily. 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 Not coldly. (laughs) No, not coldly. Or lukewarmly. Yes. Hello, my name is Lukewarmly. (laughs) You know what bothers me? What's that? Have you noticed that pornography no longer has cool titles? What are you kidding? Uh, uh, Captain America Triple X, uh, well, a porn parody. That was exactly that was exactly my <laughs> argument when these started cropping up. Is that this is the end yeah. of the funny title for pornography because they can just title it exactly that. What's the? Uh, it what's doesn't the, make sense. Blade Blade Runner has a has a porn parody coming out that was that actually did a play on words. Mm-hmm. I forget what it is. Uh, Do androids hump electric sheep? <laughs> <laughs> That would be kind see, of See, when I was a kid, you would see, like, you know, really cool things like Star Horrors with Princess Easy Leia yeah. Orgasma and mm. lukewarm bathwater. These are these are yeah. funny things. It's called Babe, I don't know where that came from. Babe Runner. Mm. So mm. there you go. Black to the future. Yes, black to the future. <laughs> Hannah does her sisters. <laughs> yeah, that you're right. Old school porn. Uh, I don't know how we got off on this tangent, Matthew, but uh, porn from five up, years that's ago. That's why. Well, that needs to be the porn. I'm going to have a cupcake. <laughs> Probably not a good idea with an open tooth wound and dental surgery in the morning. I'm going to do it anyway. All right. So let's talk about JLA Tower of Babel, written by Mark Wade with art by Howard Porter and uh, Stevie Scott. Uh, inks by, uh, what is it, uh, Garachi and Probst. Not Greg Probst, but Probst. the other one. Mark Probst. Um, here's an interesting story. And it's something that I've been wondering about for a while. If you had to take down the JLA, how would you do it? Well, Ra's Ghoul has found a way to do it. You set the Martian Manhunter on fire. You make Aquaman uh, afraid of the water. Mm-hmm. You put uh, you give you give Wonder Woman a heart attack. You make uh, uh, Wally West have epileptic seizures. You expose mm-hmm. Superman to red kryptonite, mm-hmm. and you freeze, freeze and crack man. Plastic Man. And then you uh, and steal you Batman's dead dead parents, and you bind yeah, and you you blind uh, Green Lantern. Fascinating, fascinating ways to bring down each of the heroes. And Rachel Ghoul has a has a reason to do this, right? He's got a reason to do this. He wants to throw the world into chaos so he can have humanity wipe itself out, or at least 
water itself down to a controllable number Mm -hmm. so that he can take over the world. Right? Right. But here's the twist. Where did Raish get all of these ideas to take down the JLA? He called Mark Wade. (laughs) He called Mark Wade. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, Mark Wade. This is... Hello, Detective. Hello, writer. <laughs> Hello, writer. It is I, Rishagul. If you want to see the kitty live, your Snickers bar ever again. <laughs> he and also, stole. You might note that all of your cupcakes are missing. He stole Batman's secret files and origins. He stole oh. fizzy lifting drinks, then he bumped into the ceiling, which had to be washed and sterilized, so he gets nothing. Here's this interesting thing. All this time, Batman has been gathering intelligence on his teammates, mm-hmm. so that in case they were ever taken over, and apparently, you know, Batman references this Silver Age annual story where their minds were taken over by villains... That if anyone ever got control of the heroes, Batman had a way of taking them out. And that freaks everybody it's, out. It's, it's, it's the give him 15 minutes to plan thing right. done right because it drives the story. It's, a, it's part of the plot and not, you know, a, a deus ex machina tool that the writer uses to get them out of the situation. And Really, the the most shocking scene in the whole series for me is page four, where we start out and we see young Bruce Wayne walking up the hill, and then we see the empty graves of Thomas and Martha Wayne. Mm -hmm. That's shocking. My, My friend Sarah has a theory, and she says that in comics, only two people have to remain dead, and that's the Waynes. And honestly, she's right. They are the only people who have to remain dead in comics history. So having the, you know, this is my first memory of someone actually taking in, you know, that particular plot point. Rachel Ghoul trying to take down the Batman by offering not to destroy his parents' memory or whatever, but to resurrect them with the Lazarus Pit. That is, that's genius. That is real genius right there. Yeah, and he does that not as a... uh not as a way to cripple Batman, but as mm-hmm. a way of making a peace offering. You know, join me, Batman. Let me do to, these things. All this bring time, him into the fold. All this time, he's wanted to sire an heir. And he's wanted uh, uh, Bruce Wayne and Talia to hook up again and uh, get a kid. Which, you know, years later, Grant Morrison would use that to, I don't know, mm. some effect. Technically, that plot was written years before by Denny O'Neill and okay. the uh, Batman Son of Demon. Oh, did she actually have the kid in that? Or uh huh. Oh, okay. But it I was out it was of continuity when it initially yeah. came out. So that's kind of an interesting, uh, an interesting way of uh, of uh, putting Batman in the corner. You know, hey, join mm-hmm. me, and your parents no, can come back. And Batman is like, no, that's I had the time of my life. No one puts Batman in the corner. Um, hold me, Patrick Swayze. <laughs> hold me above your head like you've never held anything. Before. Uh, this is the weirdest episode to date. Anyway, <laughs> not saying something. In addition to uh, taking the JLA out, he unleashes this uh, brain aneurysm wave. Well, really, I mean, and 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 here's the thing that I 
here's here's the thing that I like about this story. The whole taking out the Justice League yeah. is just so that then he can carry out his cockamamie yeah. plan. Right, right, right. Tangential to the plot. Yep. It's not even the point. It's like, somebody's coming after us now. Somebody just wants you out of the way so that he can turn everybody into gorillas. Oh, wait, no, that's a different guy. (laughs) (laughs) So that Hawkworld can invade. No, wait. Um, That's another different guy. But what do you think of this plan? So that Starman and the gorilla can join the team. What do you think of this plan that uh, Raish has? Mess up people's cognitive processes so they can't read. And then later so that they can't understand one another. They can't communicate. And we will tear each other's throats out. Right. My here's here's how how I, I read it. The first time through reading it, um, and this was like back possibly soon after this had actually come out. I read it right. in a trade, but right. um I, I don't think it was too long after it had actually come out. Um I was like, oh wow, this story was awesome. And then but this time reading it back through, I was like, okay, well this part makes sense, but then the second part doesn't. It's like Rachel Ghoul goes, Haha, I will make every make it so that nobody can communicate and people will tear each other apart so that everybody will wiped out, only a few people will remain, and the world will be saved from the predation of mankind, right? How are people going to eradicate each other? Like uh um nuclear missiles or well, and that's one of the things that they point um, out is the people in the bunkers don't know what the messages on the screen are. Right. They could be launch. They could be don't launch. Exactly. But what I'm saying is if Raish wants to save the world, why would he trigger a nuclear apocalypse? Right. That's the opposite that could be of what one he thing wants. That he could do. Yeah, you're right. He could just want to wipe out people, which is the ultimate thing is he wants this nerve gas from fictional country number 527. Mm-hmm. To be unleashed so that it would kill humans. Quarto Latveria. Yes. <laughs> San uh, Carcharo Bird. My problem with, in the first part, in the first phase of his uh, plot to mess up the language, is answered right in the very form that we are reading. Right? We're reading a comic book with pictures. Mm-hmm. And I don't care if you're messing up someone's language center. The, the symbol for a female in the bathroom is going to be is going to remain the same. Right. Me holding up a hand, you know means stop. Red means stop. Green means go, right. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So you're going to, and they're talking about, well, no one's going to be able to understand money. doesn't matter. I can look at a Washington and know that it's mm-hmm. a buck, and you're going to know it's a buck, even though it may on yours say Q27, and on mine it may say 352, mm-hmm. right? We're going to understand that. So the pictoform is what would prevent, I think, Raisha's plot from being carried out do you do you agree with that matthew well, it, or, or not i don't and here's why if uh, th- one of the things that troubled me the first time i read this was that the elaborate ciphers don't make sense if you look at the scene where superman is holding the daily planet you can see daily planet at the top in the mm-hmm. masthead and you can see five symbols and then six symbols so if you cross-reference those F equals D, S equals A, the, the, the masthead works, but the rest of it doesn't. For instance, the, uh, what we know of the letters in that headline can't make sense because there's no word in the English language that goes TP. So I think there's more than just you know, a, a scrambling effect. I think that the whole thing is, is you know, heavily 
involved, and things are not only wrong, they're different every time you look at them. Right, but pictures aren't going to change. That That's the thing. The pictures aren't going to change. They? No, because we're looking at it, and we see an airplane. We see the people waving. We see the little Well, not everybody is a Mac user, Steve. Some of us well, do have you know. to read well, you when know. we interact with things. Let's say you look at a dollar bill, okay, and it's got a picture of Andrew Jackson on it. You presume it's a 20, right? You're well, going to yeah. give me a 20, okay? But language I don't and, know what a 20 But language is? and Im imagery are not part of the same area uh, of the brain. Just let him finish. So he has a 20. Yes. Well, he said I had a dollar with Jackson on the front. Right. Okay. Jackson's on a 20. Right? Yes. Okay. Anyway. Anyway. What I'm... What, what I'm kind of getting here is that if they have, if, if Raish has created some sort of mind scramble that is making these letters constantly changing and moving and quarter uiopying, there may be more than just the letters involved. I, th I think that the implication is that the symbols and the, the context are messed up as well because they're not, he's not actually physically changing the letters. Mm -hmm. He's changing what the brain is interpreting of them. So the interpretation to the brain is as though, you know, something is, is uh, does that make sense there? Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. In any case, I still don't see how this is going to save the world because, you know, if the guy in the bunker presses QWERTY UEOP and it launches the thing, then you've, you know, you've destroyed a big portion of the world. Even if you're immortal, as Raish, you know, uh, ostensibly is, you're going to have to wait hundreds of thousands of years to clear out the radiation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what I was oh. saying. Mm. Yeah, and I don't have a problem with... Plus, with Aquaman's on fire, man. <laughs> yes. Um, so, as heroes will do, they find a way to take everybody out. Mm -hmm. uh, they save themselves. Martian Manhunter and is able to communicate. Other. Yes, they save, save each other. Uh, Martian Manhunter is able to use his telepathic ability to allow everyone to communicate without needing to talk. They blow up the t the tower, and everything is right with the world. Hurrah! Except, oh no! How could you do this to us, Bruce? How could how could yeah. you how could you plot against us, man? I thought we was bros. I thought we were bros, man. You broke to, the bro I, code. I had to do it just in case your bodies were ever taken over. A real bro is never necklace guy, Bruce. You never know what's going to happen if if someone were to take over your body and you were running at me at 100 miles per hour. I'd need to know to throw that donut in the way to distract you. <laughs> you, you know what's really awesome? What's that? When, when the League has saved the day and they're confronting Batman, who is it that leads the charge of rage? Plastic Man? Plastic Man. Plastic Man. Throughout this arc, and Plastic Man joined in like issue 14 or something, Plastic Man has always been the comic relief. He's been the funny guy. He's, you know, he's Plastic Man. Mm -hmm. He sees the world the way he sees the world, and everything's wacky and wonky, and Plastic Man is funny. He's the first one to get up in Batman's face. Yeah. At um, Batman. Where does this fall in the story of uh, they travel back in time and Plastic Man becomes this is before fish the food. this is before oh this is before the fish food this okay. is like twenty issues before that this I believe was the first time that anyone other than Morrison wrote the Morrison revamp JLA ah okay 
and then after that, uh, Tower of Babel is like issue forty three, and I believe the Obsidian Age starts around issue sixty six, maybe. Okay, all right. Something like that. Then mm-hmm. Midsummer's Nightmare or whatever. Yeah. Midsummer's Nightmare relaunched well, in like nineteen ninety. Uh, I don't mind that Plastic Man is uh, bothered. He got shattered into a million pieces, which, uh, again, might be a foreshadowing to what's going to come later. Well. Um, To an extent. It's Uh, it's somebody finally saying, how do you take down Plastic Man? Right, right, right. Uh, And really calling Batman out as a dick, which is fine. Mm -hmm. Is is this something that was right for Batman to do? Should he have been figuring out a way to t- not only take down his enemies but also his friends who might you turn know, into enemies. I, I think I think Wonder Woman is actually the one who brings it up was like, you know, I understand why you did this, but you should have told us. Like not yeah. what the it's contingencies he- are. Yeah. Right. It's that yeah. we didn't know that you had these. You never told us that you had it, these. Well, but then Martian Manhunter the comes out and says, "Hey, I've thought about ways of taking you all down." Does that make him just True. as bad as Batman? And Wade kind of answers that answers that question. Yeah. Well, he he did it, and then he abandoned that because right. he knew that people felt betrayed by it. Mm-hmm. And because eventually most threats will go down by punching them repeatedly. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, I like that the uh, at the end of the story, ultimately the decision is Superman's decision to make mm-hmm. split comes down to superman batman's best friend if batman does have a friend of his age group um and not a bad hound yes (laughs) or a teenage delinquent um they go into the conference room to confront batman and he's already gone Mm -hmm. he already knows what the answer was he's already calculated it in his brain well 20 moves ahead it's funny because they have him don't they have him at like in a uh like in the other room, but he can yeah, yeah. see through the window. It's like, you guys do realize that Batman can read lips, right? <laughs> I mean, that's one of his things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they give him more, you know, some extra abilities here and there, but the the whole Batman being able to read lips, that's that's Yeah, that's, that's pretty much Detective 101 kind yeah. of stuff, yeah. It's like, so he knows what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Would, would you have voted in a different way? Which way would you have voted? Um... I see that the thing is, is like, I, I understand that necessity to to have a contingency in case one of the most powerful people in the universe goes bad. It, mm-hmm. It's it's funny because part of the reason why I was big into Marvel is because the big characters that, that I liked in Marvel were not nearly as powerful as the characters in DC. And this is one of the stories where I was like, there ca- there can be something to these DC characters who are super powerful. Right. Right. As long as they're treated as such. Right. Is, is basically the thing. So this story I liked because it did that because it was like, you know, what if these, one of these guys does go crazy and, and starts trying to kill everyone? Um, do you, mm-hmm. should you have those contingencies in place? And, and in that sense, I, brings- yeah, in that sense, I Kyle do agree with Hal Batman. Jordan. Yeah. yeah, you know, if if they had had this plan, they might still have Coast City. Yeah, exactly. we don't bring up. Point. You I don't think... bring up Hal Jordan. You're too young to be bringing up Hal Jordan. How dare you? But that's not the point. Wally's being a dick. Yeah, yeah because yeah. at this point in time, Wally's a dick. But when you look at it, Kyle is the one who makes to me what's the most salient point is. 
this is probably necessary. Mm -hmm. This is something that, you know, really kind of needed to be done. And I think that the fact that it alienates Batman from the League as much as it does is a little surprising. Because, I mean, honestly, when you break it down, I expected both Aquaman and the Martian Manhunter to understand what, you know, Batman was doing here. I look at Martian Manhunter makes the point in the Justice League uh, Year One series, he did something similar. That mm -hmm. series, also written by Mark Wade. <gasps> but Aquaman is the one that surprised me because Aquaman seems to me the kind of, you know, get it done guy. I have only one hand and it's a spear kind of thing. But I think that it, the way it breaks down really kind of gives depth to the character because about three of these people vote exactly the opposite of the way that I think they would. Plastic Man's vote surprises me. Green Lantern's vote surprises me. Aquaman's vote surprises me. And then we get to that final Superman vote. Mm -hmm. And while he never actually voices it, Superman's vote is the one that surprises me. Mm -hmm. Why? Or what we're led to believe Superman's vote would have been. Because Superman, to me, is always the you get another chance. Yeah. Lex, come to your senses. This isn't, you know, this isn't like you. Uh, Zod, you have one, you know, I I'll let you step away from all of this. All of these things that Superman has done, and it's really surprising to me, and it really kind of hammers home the seriousness of what happened to them, that the implication is that Superman's vote is to evict or eject Batman from the League. Well, yeah, and, and the, the know, voting whether, scene um, really mm -hmm. brings brings forth what is what is really good about this uh this arc which is that all of the characters react to it on a personal level like mm -hmm. some of them are able to step away from it and say well here are the actual points but pretty much all of these characters and the reason why they sometimes vote contrary to what you think they might to the way they might vote is because they were personally hurt not even physically but really emotionally hurt by a teammate that they trusted right um and some of them can get over it and and see the the logic in batman's mm -hmm. uh, idea some of them can't and some of them who could are still upset enough that they won't are right bruised. right yeah right and the the dialogue throughout that whole voting sequence is fascinating because it takes into account existing relationships one thing that struck me is everyone's like superman this and superman that and aquaman is like it's not luck cow and i all of a sudden i'm like oh my god just that 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 note of familiarity that note of i know you and you know we've been through this 20 odd years or five years or however long it's been at this point of time and then the you know the arguments that erupt where the martian manhunter and aquaman who have been you know relatively close throughout the first 35 issues of this league or as close mm -hmm. as those two get are nearly coming to blows and wonder woman says i understand mankind's need for security and wonder woman speaks completely divested of you know normal people wonder woman's entire opinion is about well i you know she's never been a normal human being right. she's not even technically a human being She's a golem created by the Amazons, you know. Right. I love the the amount of character and the amount of, you know, history that's injected into not just what they say, but the patterns that they use to say it and the specific choices of words. Mm -hmm. Plastic Man's vote is heartbreaking. 
he, he, I mean, he just well, doesn't he, say anything. There's that moment of silence, and he's like, just get him out of here. Well, and what's even more important is when he does make his decision and when he does say his words, his back is mm-hmm. turned to the reader mm-hmm. to the point where he can't yeah. even and look. And, and he's really – his back is turned to the rest of his team. He can't even look him in the face because of this decision. Right. Yeah. He probably knows he, it's the right decision, but he he's still you know, torqued off. Oh, it's, yeah. it, it is one of the few times when you see um, – what's his name? Eel – yeah. Instead of uh, mm-hmm. instead of plastic man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's this all... is the point where they actually had uh, started retconning in uh, Plastic Man as being essentially immortal. So Plastic Man is one of the few characters at, in this era of the Justice League who is actually as old as his publishing history is supposed to be. Plastic Man started doing what he did in 1941, according to Grant Morrison. And has just lasted decades because he's made of plastic and he's non-biodegradable. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting to see them give him that kind of depth and that kind of moment where he's, you know, he's important to the team as more than just the comic relief. Yeah, I think of, of everything. I mean, really, quite frankly, the Ra's al Ghul, and I'll talk about Ra's another time, but um, that is just the, the hook to be able to explore this idea mm-hmm. of your friend turning against the enemy or, or turning against you. What I found, you know, interesting is that this story, uh, the Tower of, of Babel story, is going to be turned into one of those DC direct to DVD movies. Nice. Uh, it's I think it's called cool. Justice League Doomed or something, I think is what the name of it is. Um, and so that'll be interesting to see that ad- adaptation. But we've kind of already seen an adaptation of this before in the Justice League uh, first series, when it was just called Justice League, mm-hmm. when the Thanagarians uh, attack Earth and they take down the heroes, how did they do it? Because Hawkgirl was doing everything that uh, that Batman essentially had done. Mm-hmm. And that arc essentially ends the same way, where everybody's voting on whether to keep her or get rid of her. And so it's kind of interesting to see that take right. uh, on that story. What did you guys think of the art? I thought it kind of came and went. I agree. It's Porter. Uh, Porter is... I don't know how to describe it. You know how Porter's I would describe art it? Porter's art is really strange. I, I say it's... How would you describe it? It's proto-Ed McGinnis art. I can see that. You know how Ed McGinnis has these very... Def- I mean, they're very deformed bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, or st- mm-hmm. I shouldn't say deformed, stylized bodies. This right. kind of feels like what happened before, the progenitor of Ed McGuinness's style mm-hmm. uh, in this. And sometimes it works, especially in times when you get to see facial expressions, but yeah. for yeah. for bodies and movement, inconsistent. One one thing about this book, you can you can definitely turn it into a drinking game and you can take a shot every time you see somebody making basically having a big surprised expression at the bottom of a page. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <gasps> <laughs> yeah. No! My parents are gone. Marsha Ben Hunter's on fire. Porter, I can't read. One of the first artists, <laughs> one of the first artists in uh, recent memory, to actually manage to balance Wonder Woman between, uh, you know, tragically hip waif and giant Amazon bodybuilder. So I really like that because yeah. his Wonder Woman is obviously a force to be reckoned with. While maintaining a level of femininity, you know, it's not super sexy, it's not 
hyper deformed China type stuff, but he gets that balance right for me anyway. And I like the fact that this arc actually takes what people, you know, these days refer to as the second banana seriously. Your Aquaman, your Plastic Man, your Martian Manhunter get as much respect as Superman and Batman and and what's his face with the green ring there. Yeah, well, and you know, when it comes down to the uh, the climax of is this virus going to get out there or not, it's not Superman and Wonder Woman or Batman and Wonder Woman that are on the roof. It's Wonder Woman and Plastic Man mm-hmm. that are on the roof, and he's yeah. like, hey, you know, do you want to do this? We could, you know, here are some options. Let me take these kids, let them get them out of here, and then deal with this. And, you know, he sticks around on the roof with her the entire time. He doesn't, yeah. he doesn't uh, scoot out uh, at the last minute. But art-wise, you know, I kind of agree with you, Matthew, on Wonder Woman, but there are some times when panels and characters look a bit janky. And other times yeah. when things look wonderful. It's the 90s. Yeah. Things were different then. Yeah, hey, man, man, you remember the 90s? Yeah, man. I remember him quite well. Now I have a question for you. Okay. And here's the thing that, that I had problematic. Does it not seem that Thomas and Martha's caskets are made of wood? Yes. Would you not say that wood has the tendency to disintegrate in moist earth for 20-odd years while your child is growing up in the Orient to become a martial arts master slash bon vivant playboy? That That's why you put them in the... Um uh, what's it called? Not the crypt, but vault. the vault. Yeah. What you do is you put the vault of the crypt. You dig the hole. You you dig the hole, and then you put the vault, which is made out of metal or stone or something, and then you put the caskets inside of that, and then you close up the vault. That was the one thing that bothered me was that those caskets were 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 to forgive the expression bone clean when they came out. They were you know they were clearly wood. They were dry. There was no moisture, no decay, no nothing. Uh, you know, and it's been at least, if you figure Batman was even as young as 28, it's been at least 20 years because he yep. is seven or eight when he gets shot at the Mark of Zorro. So that was problematic for me, and I, I just took that as kind of a limitation of the art. Maybe it's high-polished glass yeah, they, mahogany. Yeah. Maybe they maybe they treat coffins in, in Gotham City. Or maybe <laughs> maybe... The soil at the cemetery in Gotham City has something wrong with it. Dun, dun, dun. Batman should investigate. That's one. That's why Batman is so freaked out when he sees those caskets. He's like, "Those caskets should be rotten." <laughs> what? <laughs> what do you think of Talia's turn? To get you, Barbara, they're coming to get you. Talia's face turn. Yeah. Um. Oddly, one of the only predictable parts of the arc for me. Yeah. She follows. She wants to follow her father so much, but she is uh, willing to turn on him in a minute to save her, for, you know, her loved one. Her beloved, her beloved, my beloved pointy-headed uh, man. All right. Anything else about this that we want Almighty to add? A little bit shorter episode this week. I think we're all kind of in other places. Mm-hmm. Matthew, mm-hmm. maybe quite literally. Hello, little rabbit. Sure. I'm late for tea. Is there cake? There's no rabbits. <laughs> and porridge. There was a rabbit earlier, but he disappeared behind the pink and green sumo wrestlers. <laughs> it was kind of cool. All right. Uh, final decision, Rodrigo, on this story. Uh, I, I really enjoyed it the first time I read it. On a second read, there are, I, I found the flaws that I think as a, as a young reader who was way, way into superheroes, I, I just kind of glossed over. Mm-hmm. 
That said, though, it still holds up, and I'm glad that they're gonna turn it into a uh, animated movie. An, an animated movie because this is one of the, it's a short arc. Um, it's an arc that is well put together. It's it's clear that. Or maybe you know, from from my standpoint, it's like he's like he had two stories to tell: this crazy babble story and the Batman betrayal story. And then he was like, "Well, one of these will stand on its own, but if I combine them, then they'll actually make each other stronger." So if you want to see that, you know the 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 arc written as an arc is really good. So if you're interested in seeing oh, that oh, sort oh. of writing, I would definitely have you check it out. I like the idea that this is the Batman had 15 minutes to prepare and can take down anyone kind of idea. Mm-hmm. I think that this is a, a solid story. I think it still holds up. I think at one point they said this is one of the 20 greatest Batman. Some website write, rated this as one of the 20 greatest Batman stories of all time. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's always been a lot of hype built up into this. I think this was when I was on my JLA break because I, n- I had not read this until just recently. And quite honestly, if you listen to all the hype, you're going to go in and maybe come out a little disappointed, which I was. Mm. And I was just like, eh, it's a fair story. It's a good story. I don't think that this is a rush out and buy story. I think that this is one that you should probably mm. check out at the library, read it, and then decide if it's something that you definitely or not or do not definitely want to add into your collection. Matthew? Or do or don't do this came know. out in the year no 2000. Trial. In the year 2000, which means it was right at the end of the douche-tastic 90s. So it was more of a Thunderbolt then, no pun intended, Thunderbolts came out the year before, um, than it is now. And I think that part of the problem is, much like you know my friend who hates the Beatles because he's heard it all before, right. a lot of this has really seeped into DC canon. And for a great many years, this really solidified the way the characters of the Justice League acted. You know, you have a lot of buildup through the first, you know, 30-odd issues. This was really, really, really a a game changer on a lot of levels. And this is probably the point where the 15 minutes to prepare Batman became a cliché. Mm-hmm. Because this story did it so well and did it so intrinsically that other people wanted to play with that in their stories, and it, it became variations on a theme. Um, I would say it's definitely a recommendation. I think that any Justice League fan should read this, as long as you understand that this is a Justice League story. This is not a Batman story. This is not a Superman story. This is not a Flash story. This story is about the Justice mm-hmm. League as an engine and an entity and it has moments for all those characters, and Batman is key to the plot. But Batman is key to the plot the same way the ultimate nullifier is key to the defeat of Galactus. It's what he's doing that matters. It's the way, the way he's pointed. So if all you know about Justice League are you know recent incarnations from the Brad Meltzer era, absolutely go read this. Because unlike those Brad Meltzer stories, this one's this good. This one's good. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thank you for that, Matthew. And thank you, listeners, for putting up with our antics uh, for this time. Be sure to come back on Saturday. We've got some more discussions to talk about, some more things to discuss and talk about. And again, I've forgotten to write down what we're reviewing next week. So it'll be a surprise for you next week. And for us. And probably for us as well. Sherry Pop-Tart Volume 1 by Larry Wells. All right, everybody. We will talk with you next time. Why? Because we know that you love comics, and we do too. And we will talk with you soon. If you have any questions, comments, topic ideas for future shows, or would like to sponsor a show, send an email to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. 
Visit Major Spoilers at Majorspoilers.com and be sure to check out the Major Spoilers forum. You can also follow Major Spoilers on Twitter at twitter.com slash majorspoilers and on MySpace at myspace.com slash majorspoilers. Fat Dick's revision of Superman. I could save a few bucks and stand around and read through the covers of the comics on the stand. But although every other page would be backwards, I suppose, I could still read the evens and the odds. Well, I don't know. Guess I haven't thought this all the way through. Plus, as soon as the comic book store guy knew, they kicked my butt out on the corner. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Way. If I was hulking green or gray, I could just bust through that brick wall, take their comic books away. But then the little meat would deal with all the tanks and bombs and guns. Have you ever tried to read a series with all that going on? Guess I need to rethink this plan. How would I back and board my comics with such huge hands? Guess I already told ya. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a major spoiler What a major spoiler If I was Stark Raven rich like a man of iron I might not be surprised to find That I might actually have the heart cold To follow an entire storyline But would I really even need To read upon all those escapades I mean, who needs such distractions When your sister's such a babe But the downside is such a beast Being shot up in a fine Be in the Middle East With a King Santo and soldier what a major spoiler What a major spoiler Yeah, yeah, yeah What a major spoiler Whoa, 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 whoa What a major spoiler This has been a Major Spoilers podcast Copyright 2011 Goodbye See you on the next show